Good. Um, my name is Luke Erb, coming to you from CCC. And uh, each uh, Sunday morning, I'm actually the director of adult ministries over there, which is really a fun title for everything Pastor Chuck doesn't do. And uh, teaching classes, coordinating stuff, I do counseling, do quite a bit. And uh, Sunday mornings, I teach a Matthew class at 9 o'clock, and we've been going through the book of Matthew verse by verse for four years now, and we're in chapter 21. And uh, (laughs) so we ain't even done yet. And um, so, yeah, I definitely love getting into the Word, and as you're going to see today, we hop around quite a bit, and we'll just take on mass chunks of it and process it and see what that looks like. And uh, don't be intimidated by the title here. It's not going to be Hellfire and Judgment today. Um, But it's, and like I said right there, you know, just right below, the dangers of tradition. And so just uh, keep that in mind as we move through this. Um, I love teaching classes. I love questions. I love, you know, just discussion. So please feel free at any time and uh, just wave at me or whatever Let's do this. So, anybody have any questions about me or anything? Nope. <laughs> I did. I know. Took a few inches off. So, yeah, had to look somewhat respectable now. <laughs> Something. Hey, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, it's well, I'll remember that for next year. I'll quit cutting. That's my so the thought actually went to my wife. It's like she's probably not gonna like that. And so she's right there in the back. That's Billy, my lovely wife of eleven years, with two of our three kids, and then a couple other good brothers. Got Ben and Anthony and his wife Julie. So support. Okay, <laughs> it is. So we're all we're all in small group together, and our uh, we meet it out at our house each Friday night. And uh, our group group's called Rejects. So if that says anything about it, so <laughs> we'll meet for about six or seven hours each Friday night. So all right, sins of Jeroboam, dangers of tradition. Um. Where that slide come from? Okay, um, just giving a little bit of background. We're going to talk about a guy by the name of Jeroboam, and uh, a lot of this is coming from the Old Testament, and a lot of people really don't get into the Old Testament anymore. Um, personally, it's my favorite part of the Bible. I love the Old Testament. Uh, you can see Jesus on every page, and a lot of the stories are pretty messed up, but there's a lot of truth that comes out of these, and um, the one that we're going to go through today actually came out of a nightly Bible reading with my family. And uh, we read through each night, just a chapter or a couple. And um, out of that discussion just kind of came this talk. And, um, yeah, I'm kind of nerdy, so bear with me. Um, so First Kings chapter 11, starting at verse 26. Then Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, the Ephraimite from Zeradah, Solomon's servant, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, also rebelled against the king. Now, this was the reason why he rebelled against the king. 
Solomon built Mio and closed up the breach of the city of his father David. Now the man Jeroboam was a valiant warrior. And when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he appointed him over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. It came about at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found, found him on the road. Now Ahijah had clothed himself with a new cloak, and both of them were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took a hold of the new cloak, which was on him, and tore it into twelve pieces. So this is Old Testament, Solomon. you got the whole kingdom, right, from David to Solomon. It's huge. Even for huge, it only covers basically the landmass of southern Indiana from I-70 south, um, or the same square mileage as the state of Maryland. And uh, so after this, we have Solomon's getting ready to die, and he passes it off to his son, Rehoboam. So he said to Jeroboam, take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord. And Lord, all capitals there, that's Yahweh, the divine name. The God of Israel, behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and give you ten tribes. But he will have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Milcom, the god of the sons of Ammon. And they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight, and observing my statutes and my ordinances, as his father David did. Nevertheless, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him ruler all the days of his life, for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose, who observed my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom from his son's hand and give it to you, even ten tribes. But to his son I will give one tribe, that my servant David may have a lamp always before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen for myself to put my name. I will take you, and you shall reign over what you des- whatever you desire, and you shall be king over Israel. Then it will be that if you listen to all that I command you, so here's the condition, right? That if I, that I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight by observing my statutes and my commandments, as my servant David did, Then I will be with you and build you an enduring house as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. Thus I will afflict the descendants of David for this, but not always. Solomon sought, therefore, to put Jeroboam to death, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, and he was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. So just reading on. um, Here we go. So the death of Solomon. Now the rest of the Acts of Solomon... Blah, blah, blah. So basically, Solomon dies. Passes it on to Rehoboam, his son. And so just a background, this is all happening about 930 B.C. Uh, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, he's a piece of work. We're going to read a little bit about him here in a second. Jeroboam gets to take the north, the ten northern tribes. Okay? Um, and when we read 1 Kings chapter 12, uh, verse 8 and following, basically... He doesn't listen to wise counsel, the, the Solomon's counselors. And we'll check that out here in a second, which it's all got mixed up. I don't know how that happened. Um, so here's the divided kingdom. Sorry, right, we're going to go with it. Um, we have the kingdom of Israel in the north, ten tribes. you got the kingdom of Judah, which you have the Levites. There's Jerusalem. And you got to remember that, um, Jerusalem is the middle of everything. 
That's, I mean, that's where the worship of Yahweh takes place. That's where three of the pilgrimage feasts take place. So all the faithful of Yahweh are going to Jerusalem. And so the big part of this is it's not in the northern kingdom. And Jeroboam knows that. Okay. Totally cut it. <laughs> I know. It cut out like five slides. That's all right. Um, so what happens is Jeroboam or Rehoboam is king now instead of Solomon. All the people come to him and say, hey, look, your dad, he was awesome, but we did all this work for him and we're tired. We're done. And so Rehoboam, you know, and they were like, hey, look, just lighten up on us and we'll be faithful to you. And Rehoboam says, hey, look, give me three days, then come back. And I'll give you an answer whether I'm going to take it easy on you or not. And so he consults all the elders and they're like, hey, you know what? Your dad was pretty harsh. Go easy on him and they're going to be faithful to you for the rest of their lives. Then he asked all his friends. A bunch of young guys. And they were like, you know what you should tell him? That your pinky is thicker than your dad's waist. And if you thought he was harsh that you're going to be beating them with scorpions and desert briars and everything else. You know, man up, right? Just be tough. You thought my dad was tough? I'm way tougher. And so getting into that, all the people come back, and they're like, hey, what's your answer? Hoping for something favorable, right? Rehoboam responds with, basically, I'm going to be harsher than my dad. So what the people do? I'm out. So 10 tribes seed from the union of Israel. And that's where we get Jeroboam, who is actually the slave leader of that time, um, who Solomon had appointed over all of them. He said to your tents, O Israel, what portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse to your tents, O Israel. Now look after your own house, David. So Israel departed to their tents. So, but as for the sons of Israel who live in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was over the forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death. So this is getting pretty serious. There we go. Um, <clears throat> so basically they had lined up to fight, and somebody said, hey, look, God ain't, he's not in this. The whole ten tribes leaving Israel, that's from God. You don't want to cross him. You've already messed up enough. Just go home. And so that's what they do. Now, okay. Hmm. <laughs> Look at this. Um, okay. Um, so then in the north, you have Jeroboam. He builds all these cities. He builds up his kingdom in the north. And then he realizes, if this people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of Yahweh at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will return to their Lord, the rightful king, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king consulted. Okay, so... Throughout these passages, we're seeing the, this, this theme of counsel, right? 
And that's something for each of us to reflect on is where do we get our counsel from? Is it from our peer groups? You know, people who are in the same position in life as we are? Or should we be talking to the people who've already been there and done that? Just a thought. I mean, we see some serious implications from taking the wrong advice. And that's something within the community, a greater community, within the Christian community, something that we definitely don't take advantage of is listening to our elders. There's a lot of wisdom that's not being utilized. There's nothing new under the sun. History does repeat itself, and it repeats itself in every successive generation. And that's one of the things that, you know, and it takes a little bit of humility to accept that, man, I don't have this all figured out. I'm treading new ground in my own life each and every day. Who are we seeking out to get counsel from? So it's a challenge. It's a challenge for me every day. It's just something to think about just coming right here from the scriptures. Um, Does anybody have any questions so far? Yes, I've pretty much read through a whole chapter of the Old Testament on a Sunday morning. And I'm not done. So, <laughs> so um, when we look at this, we have, so the king consulted. Now, does everybody understand the scenario? He's in the north. He doesn't have Jerusalem, the capital city. Everybody worships Yahweh, the one true God. So, you know, it's like re- religion. It supersedes, you know, political parties or supersedes, you know, any of these other minor differences. Faith is that uniter. And so, which can be a great divider too. But when we have them in the northern kingdom and they're going to one place, and that's something that we really as Protestants don't understand, is, you know, going to one place to worship God. That God is there in that one place in Jerusalem to worship him, to offer sacrifices, to do those things. Well, if you're in the northern kingdom, you just lost out, buddy, because three times a year, all of your people, all the faithful good ones, are going to be going to your opposing, your, your enemy, your opposing kingdom down to the south to worship God. And so what comes up with this great idea to make two golden calves. Why not, right? And he said to them, is it too much for you to go up to Jerusalem? You don't want to go all the way to Jerusalem. Just stay here and worship these two golden calves. This is where it gets sinister. I mean, you know, let's play on the practical side. You don't want to travel that far. Behold your gods, O Israel, that brought you up from the land of Egypt. He set one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan, which is actually Tel Dan. Last year I went to Israel and I actually got to see both of these places. And it was just spooky being there, knowing this story. So that now this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one as far as Tel Dan, which is extreme north. And he made houses on high places and made priests from among all the people who were not of the sons of Levi. Jeroboam instituted a feast in the eighth month on the 15th day of the month, like the feast which is in Judah. So did he call these calves Baal or Baal? Did he call them Molech? or Ashtoreth, or any of these other pagan gods? No. He made these golden calves and identified them as Yahweh. 
He didn't change religions. He just perverted it a little bit. And to a people who caught in all kinds of turmoil anyways politically, hey, that makes sense. If they get identified as northerners coming into the south, I mean, it's like 1861 to 5, you know, all over again. A northerner in the south, you're getting found out and probably going to get beat up or killed. And so that's exactly what they're running into. And so Jeroboam, shrewd political move, hey, we'll just make our own gods, but let's go ahead and keep identifying them as Yahweh. You worship them in all the same ways. You know what? The Torah, the law, you keep obeying that. But when you worship, here are your gods. It's pretty scary. Even to the point of celebrating a feast to them, the same feast that they were celebrating in Jerusalem, they celebrate at Bethel and at Dan. Yeah. <laughs> That's the funny thing about history, though. Right? When you don't learn, when you don't study the history, you're doomed to repeat it. Now, that's just it. Wasn't there something about a golden calf back then? And that's all people remember. All of a sudden, you've got a historical precedent for what you're doing next. You can play on people's faulty memory, right? I mean, you know, they don't have public education. They got this faulty memory like, hey, I remember there was a golden calf. Right when they got out of Egypt. Yeah, Aaron the priest. He threw some gold in the fire and out came this calf. It was a miracle of God, of Yahweh. And so here we have Jeroboam quoting Aaron verbatim from Exodus 32, chapter uh, verse 4. So, so what's happened so far? Solomon burdened the people. Rehoboam is upon it. Jeroboam with ten tribes, seed from that union... Jeroboam doesn't want people to go down to Jerusalem, so he sets up two golden calves. So he's disobeying the commandment to not have idols. Exodus 20, verse 4. Verse 28 um, quotes from Exodus 32, 4, and this is what we were talking about before, uh, the first golden calf incident. So he took this from their hand, so all the gold items, and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now, anybody that's ever read the Old Testament, Yahweh is always hearkening back to that episode in Egypt, them being freed from the land of sin and slavery. That I mean, God is proud about that, right? I mean, he made himself known in a big way. All the things that he ever did. I mean, thousands of years later, he's like, hey, remember that time in Egypt? Yeah, I did that. And so here we have the golden calves, which, you know, was a black eye on the people of Israel right as soon as they got out of slavery, coming right back and revisiting it. So the results. When we get into this, the sin of Jeroboam is repeated over and over and over throughout First and Second Kings. And anybody that knows, you know, kind of that big picture of the scriptures, 
you have the exile coming right here at the end of 2 Kings. And so we'll actually go through those scriptures, 2 Kings 17, 7 through 23. Um, Israel goes into exile in the year 725 B.C. 200 years of disobedience had become the foundational uh, tradition and custom of every devout Israelite in the north. Didn't change gods. It was all in the way that they worshipped God. And that made all the difference. It's scary. All it takes is a little bit of time, a new tradition, right? And that's it. And it was that was enough to become known as the sin of Jeroboam and to actually be responsible for sending the people of Israel into exile. Does anybody have any questions, comments so far? Right. Right. And and, and that's actually going to come into play here in a little bit when we kind of bring this home, just that knowledge is that, you know, I mean, having access to the word, to the scriptures. Just go along with everybody else. Yeah. And, and that's in both of those. I mean, man, preaching it for me. I mean, just because, you know, that's that is the question that we have to ask, you know, and especially when you see everybody else, you know, doing because by 200 years, this stuff's established. This is done. That I mean, you know, your grandpa, your grandpa's grandpa, you know, your grandma, you know, who, whoever generations. This is how we do we go up to Tel Dan every year three times, and we worship the golden calf. We offer these sacrifices. We have a big party of it, and we come back home. Are you trying to tell me that, that we've been going to the wrong place for generations? Mm. As bad. <laughs> That that, and that's what makes a message like this, a talk like this, you know, important and dangerous. Because then that's a responsibility that each and every one of us have. I mean, every single one of us that owns a Bible. There's nobody keeping us from reading it, except yourself. And then challenging the way that we do things. 
reading history books. Reading, I love reading church history. It's so jacked up. <laughs> it just is. <laughs> when you talk about theological divides and, I mean, just splitting hairs and, I mean, let's just argue over something totally and completely abstract. And then, you know, start our own camp or whatever. But, I mean, let's go into the written word and just see how things are supposed to be done. And so then we have that choice of whether to stand up and to change that and to educate others or do we just fall back in line? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. When you read that in that section in context, Ahijah um, was basically called by Yahweh himself, gave him a prophetic word to share with Jeroboam, meeting him out in the field and everything and just said, look, this is about to go down. You know, Yahweh says, you're my man, to, you know, on the spot to do this, to lead the northern kingdom. I've given them to you. Be responsible. And so, so, and that's that's what makes this even worse, right? And, and not to get into predestination, free will debates, or anything like that. But like, that's <laughs> there's a few of you grinning. Come on now, <laughs> first and only time speaking, right? So, um, but when we, <laughs> but you know, when when we talk about that, you know, Yahweh's saying like, "Hey, my dude, that's you know, you're going to represent." And then all of a sudden, he's in power. He chooses. Uh oh, he chooses bad. <laughs> he chooses wrong and leads an entire nation down a bad path. So it gets pretty pretty hairy. So keep keep smiling, Clint. <laughs> Anybody else? Okay. So uh, getting into Second Kings seventeen. You know what? I think those slides from the beginning were the slides that were supposed to be right here. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. Okay, so the sins of Jeroboam became a part of the cultural identity of the northern kingdom. Actually, let me... Second um, Kings 17, 7 through 23. I'm not going to read all of it. So i got to go old school now. Bring out the Bible, flipping pages. That's... That's exactly right. <laughs> All right. Uh, starting at 7. Okay, so Second Kings 17, 7 through 23. Here we go. And so, I don't know about you, New American Standard, I got a study Bible. Um, why Israel fell. That's the subheading there. Over there. All right. Now, this came about because the sons of Israel. So this came about, what came about? Israel captive. If you look at verse 6, in the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and carried Israel away into exile to Assyria and settled them in Hala and Hebor on the river of Gozan and in the cities of the Medes. So uh, I had a uh, Old Testament, I got 15 minutes. Um, 
I had an Old Testament professor, just amazing guy, five different languages. I mean, just stupid smart. And he uh, was talking about how bad the Assyrians were. Like these guys, when they came in, they would just basically just wipe everybody out. And the ones that were hiding, they would just take back as slaves. And when they took them back as slaves, it wasn't just like, hey, everybody in the wagon, let's go. It was basically, I mean, it was brutal. They would tie their elbows back together behind their back, and they would put hooks in their cheeks and in their noses and drag them back to Assyria. Now, the point of that is, if they died along the way, well, it would rip out, and they just toss the body to the side of the road. That's how brutal these guys were. They took no mercy. They were ex- just so extremely violent. And uh, which is funny because all right, it's not funny. But in the scope of history, you know, the Babylonians that came after, they were much less brutal and much more civilized. And then the Persians after them and then the Greeks and so on and so forth. And so the, the elements of brutality just kind of lessened. Um, but the Assyrians were just they're so wicked bad. And um, and so that's those are the guys that attack Israel. Um, when I came to um, Hazor, and there's a couple other places that I uh, went to last year in Israel, and we walked up to this huge tell. It's like a big mound. And the professor said, right here we had recent excavations, and that's where they found over a 1,000 skulls of men, women, and children. And they said so they basically killed them in the city and just threw them over the side, and it had mounded up over time. Like the bodies were just left there. They took every survivor away. Just when that city was taken by the Assyrians, yeah, knowing the depth at which it was, you know, everything was found, and, you know, they could find other, you know, whether it was uh, spear points and everything else to date those. Yeah, over a thousand. And this place wasn't that big. I mean, it was probably a eight acre city. So Yes. Yep. Right before. So um okay, so verse seven. Tangent. Uh now this came about because the sons of Israel had sinned against Yahweh, Lord their God, who had brought them up from the land of Egypt. From under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods. Oh, look, there's Egypt being mentioned, right? So God just keeps going back to that. And walked in the customs of the nations whom Yahweh had driven out before the sons of Israel and in the customs of the kings of Israel, which they had introduced. So what was that one custom? Oh, yeah, worshiping two golden calves. The sons of Israel did things secretly, which were not right against Yahweh, their God. Moreover, they built for themselves high places in all their towns, from watchtower to fortified city. They set for themselves sacred pillars and Asherim on every high hill and under every green tree. Hey, you can have a golden calf. You could probably have a few pillars and, you know, a few other things around. And there were burned and they burned incense on all the high places that the nations did, which Yahweh had carried away to exile before them. And they did evil things provoking the Lord, Yahweh. They served idols concerning which Yahweh had said to them, you shall not do this thing. Yet Yahweh warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and every seer, saying, 
Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments, my statutes, according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you through my servants, the prophets. However, they did not listen, but stiffened their neck like their fathers who did not believe Yahweh their God. They rejected his statutes and his covenant, which he made with their fathers and his warnings from which with which he warned them. And they followed vanity and became vain and went after other after the nations which surrounded them concerning which Yahweh had commanded them not to do like them. They forsook all the commandments of Yahweh their God and made for themselves molten images, even two calves. And that's just like a particular insult in all of this, right? I mean, that's just rubbing salt in the wound. And made an Asherah and worshipped all the hosts of heaven, all the stars and everything else, and served Baal. Then they made their sons and their daughters pass through the fire and practiced divination and enchantments and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of Yahweh, provoking him. So Yahweh was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. None was left except the tribe of Judah. Also, Judah did not keep the commandments of Yahweh, their God, but walked in the customs which Israel had introduced. Yahweh rejected all the descendants of Israel and afflicted them and gave them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them out of his sight. When he had torn Israel from the house of David, they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel away from following Yahweh and made them commit a great sin. The sons of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel from his sight as he spoke through all his servants, the prophets. So Israel was carried away into exile from their own land to Assyria until this day. It's pretty heavy. Getting a, and so notice all the commandments and statutes and ordinances that were, you know, talked about throughout there. What that's laying out is basically the word of God. That's the law. That's the Torah. That was their measure for faith. That was, hey, we have this awesome God. How do we serve him? God lined it out. He just laid it all out in black and white. And there you go. And so all the people had rejected that. It started with two golden calves, and then, well, hey, your idol's bigger than our calf. Let's just include that one, too. And it just goes from there. So, 200 years of disobedience had become the foundational tradition and custom of every devout Israelite. The sins of Jeroboam became a part of the cultural identity of the northern kingdom of Israel after 200 years. And so, just a couple of questions to really reflect on and chew on. What are our sacred cows today? After 2,000 years since Jesus, or even just 500 years from the Protestant Reformation. There's a lot that can be built up, right? And, you know, when we talk about unity within the community, unity among the, you know, fellowship of Jesus Christ, it's getting back to the word. It's, and, and, you know, and this is a motto just of CCC that, you know, we major on the majors, minor on the minors, right? We got seven, our statement of faith, you know, you go to some churches and it's like books. We got seven points of faith. God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, resurrection, salvation, uh, the church, and the Bible. That's it. And those are the things, and, and, and that was intentional in the way that we chose it. And I'm not just selling CCC. I don't want it to sound like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, just, I realize it. But like, you know, but those are the things that unite all of us. And that, that, you know, even how we've talked, those are the things that we all agree on. 
in the most basic sense. And that's where we, that is where mission is born, out of those common tenets. That is where we can all work together for the glory of God in following Jesus Christ and spreading that good news and living out that good news. And so tradition just doesn't have a place. That's where we get back to the word of God. We're grounded in that. We understand it. But we don't get lost in the letters of it. Because we have a spirit that guides us and directs us. And that's exactly what we're called to do. And so what are our traditions that disregard the word of the Lord? And so I thought I'd include just a couple from Jesus. Rebuking the Pharisees of his time 2,000 years ago. That was 1,500 years since Moses. So, you know, it's really, it's interesting. You know, when you think about, you know, those what-if questions or whys, you know, why did Jesus come then? Of all the times in history, why then? And it's interesting because, and so huge context nerd. I mean, hopefully as you've seen from this, just like I love to study that first century, first century, second temple Judaism. And just the more I get into that, the more I see it completely reflecting our time today. And it's amazing. I mean, so when, when you're looking at the Pharisees here, think of all the top religious leaders today. How much that we, you know, even the, pick out all the most respected ones and imagine Jesus coming back and just slamming them. Just, you don't know anything. You don't know me. Because the Pharisees, they were the good guys of that time. These were the most popular ones. This is the, those are the guys that every Jewish mom was hoping their kid would grow up to be, right? <laughs> and so here you have the Son of God just coming along and just saying, you missed the point. And so here's one of those cases, Mark 7, 6 through 9. And he said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far, far away from me. Getting back to that heart matter, right? I mean, this is exactly what Paul was taking, uh, was talking about, that, you know, everything that the law can't do, that's exactly what the Spirit does. It provides that motivation, that intrinsic motivation. It drives us into obedience and love and faithfulness and forgiveness and extending grace, you know, actually showing Christ to the, the hateful world. And so, but in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, neglecting the commandment of God you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Man, Jesus could have just sent that word about, you know, a hundred uh, thousand years prior. It's been all good, right? Um, but he tried through the prophets. So we definitely see that being an issue then. Uh, Paul, in speaking to uh, different groups as he was ministering, Acts 17, 11. Now, these were more noble. Okay, we're talking about the Bereans. Paul's hopping around there. He goes to Berea, Thessalonica. Uh, now, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures. What were their scriptures? Torah, the Tanakh, right, which is the Old Testament. 
So uh, Tanakh is just an acronym, Torah, Nevi'im, Ketu'uvi'im. And so, you know, it stands for the Law, Prophets, and Writings. And uh, so when you examine the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so, man, Paul's a great speaker, he looks good, he's playing the part, got some charisma going on. Still going to check the word to see if what if what you're preaching is for real. You're talking about the Messiah showing up. I missed it. My bad. But I better check to make sure that you know all these Old Testament references that you're throwing out there are legit. Because if he really did do all those things, man, I believe. And so that's exactly what the Bereans were doing. The Thessalonians, eh, you know, got a good speaker in going to follow that guy and that's trouble and that's where we always go back to the word of god and just measuring that out and so test everything with the word of god that's all i got any questions a whole lot of questions (laughs) so you know there's a few points you know just just kind of summing this up test everything against the word of god be in the word, right? And that kind of goes to your point before was we all have access to a Bible. Each and every one of us. But how many of us are reading it? How many of us are just maybe watching YouTube videos of sermons or, you know, listen to our favorite preacher or whatever else, but not actually in it ourselves and allowing God himself to speak to us and looking at what does that actually say? And then really reading it and not getting lost in the letter of it but understanding the heart of the message, the same message that actually saved each of us that believe, right? Rekindling that passion for his word because the word became flesh. And then we get to live that out. Flesh it out in your lives, right? Read the word, flesh it out in your lives. That's it. And so we test everything with the word. And then even that original point of seeking wise counsel, what does that look like? What does that look like over time so that I don't get caught up in making my own traditions? Those are also things to be careful of. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well said. Um, Google? No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> you were thinking. <laughs> no, and, and you know what? And that's that's one of the things. Just just reading through it, you know, regularly, um, and, and just let it become a part of you, so that you know what it's saying. Um, but then there's also there's all kinds of references where you can, you know, topic references where you can just look and, oh yeah, you know, that's where it says that. You know, I mean. Whatever it is. Um, but how do you test everything? It's just, man, be a good skeptic. Don't accept everything wholesale. I mean, Christianity is not that faith where you just check your brain at the door. You know, we are called to be probably the greatest skeptics on the earth. Because there's so many lies out there, and we actually found the truth. And that's a beautiful thing, and that's the thing that we've got to guard.
That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's, I don't know if anybody's ever done the Bible study experiencing God. It's awesome. I mean, it's a trip. I mean, you know, when, when you can actually see God working around you and, and just having that MO of like, hey, I'm just going to join him in. I'm just going to join in that, right? If I see God working in somebody's life and the fact that by God's grace I'm noticing that, I'm just going to be a part of that. I'm just going to help. Being, being the hands and feet of Christ, right? So that's what it comes back to. Yes. awesome praise god i mean you know that's how he works oh good i i I was looking around i didn't put anybody to sleep Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, it's interesting that you brought that up because Satan's quoting from the Psalms each time. Jesus quotes out of Deuteronomy in response, all three times, out of Deuteronomy. right yeah well and that's and that's the thing is at any time they could have repented that's why god sent prophets which man how many opportunities do we have in the midst of you know going down a bad road we got people saying you just need to stop you just need to turn around you need to get back you know you need to get right with god man that's a prophet speaking in your life at any time, they could have repented. And that's the difference, is that David actually repented. Because he had that relationship. He had a heart for God. That's exactly right. So, 
That's right. Yeah. You know what? There's there's lots of books that kind of paraphrase that will go through those stories. Honestly, reading the children's Bible to <laughs> Yes, I just said that. Reading the children's Bible to my kids was awesome because man, it covers all those stories. Now, as we were reading the regular Bible to our older uh our older daughter, she's kind of a nerd too, and she's filling in the blanks. She's adding all the stuff, you know, which their favorite part to like Samson and, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, David and Goliath, was that David actually cut Goliath's head off. You're never going to see that in a children's Bible. But that was the part that they always remember because we read it in the real Bible. And so they knew actually where to go to with that. Man, I've talked about a couple crazy things today. (laughs) So anyways, but just, you know, there's all kinds of different books. There's character studies. There's books that will actually just, do profiles on people and where they're at in the scriptures. So, yeah, just, you know, don't get lost in the genealogies. Everything's inspired. Everything has so much meaning to it and power, um, even the genealogies. But, yeah, I'm sorry. I totally. <laughs> so. Yep. Yes. Good. Right? Amen. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Right. Yep. That's exactly right. And even just to take that a little bit deeper is the relationship that we have with our kids. That's the heart matter, right? But in every relationship, there's rules. You can rebel against all kinds of rules, but, you know, that relationship has to be there. And if you don't think there's rules in a relationship, cheat on your spouse. You just broke a rule, (laughs) you know, or disrespect them or just forget the anniversary. Forget a birthday. You just broke a rule, you know, and and those are the things that we, you know, that's how we stay in right relationship and even go deeper in intimacy. So that's right. Bad, very bad. Breaking rules. Not good. So, okay.
Anything else? Thank you all for the questions, comments. That's awesome. I love that. I wish I could do that back at CCC. So um, if you don't mind, let me pray for us all, and we're done. Lord God, I, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for everyone in here. I thank you for the words that you've given me to share, and, and even just how convicting it's been for me in the months prior, just meditating on these things, and even going over it again. And Lord, I pray that um, your spirit would be here, would move in each of us as we come to you, as we approach you through your word, in dedication to you, in following our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would speak to us and that you would stir in our hearts to just be zealous for you and for your word and that we would guard this faith, that we would be missional and go out and share the truth. Lord, I pray that for everyone in here, that as we read your word, that you would write it on our hearts and minds, that it would be come a part of us and that you would be glorified through that. We love you, Father. We thank you for this beautiful day. I thank you for everyone in here. I thank you for this fellowship. And just feel the love. It's beautiful. Thank you. And I give you all the praise and glory. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Thank you.